Hi everybody, we've got our first guest on the Lefty Guitar channel. It's none other than Tom Milner, who is uh, not only is he a left-handed guitarist, so he fits the bill pretty well here. He's also a singer, actor, many strings to his bow. I know Tom from doing the 10th anniversary tour of American Idiot a couple of years ago. Tom's had a pretty great career though, so we discussed that and many other things. So enjoy. Here we go. All right, Tom Milner. The one and only Tom Milner is the first guest on the Lefty Guitar Channel. How are you, Tom? First guest? I didn't know that. I mean, I'm first. privileged now. I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. We need to cut to the chase, though, and say a huge congratulations because you just became a dad for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Can you see the bags? The bags are... I, I put um, them on makeup. I'm going to say no, I can't see them, but uh, <laughs> just, that's just being polite. That's good acting, that, from you, isn't it? Thank you. I learned <laughs> from the best. <laughs> um, so are you getting sleep? Uh, no, uh, I'll be honest. No, we're not. Um, but well, I mean, we are, but it's, it's nothing like, you know, pre pre child, but it's, it's what it is, isn't it? You know, the, the beauty of having a child outweighs that sort of sleep. Um, yeah, so it does. And it's it worth, it's worth putting in all those hours for the reward that you get out of it. You know, it is, it is anyway, right. So, uh, Tom Milner, actor, singer, um, what else can we say? There's so much, so many strings to your bow. At lefty is the most important thing. Um, can we just address the uh, address your background before we go any further? Yeah, because that's that. quite a nice selection you got there. Yeah, I'm I'm blessed because um, my uh, pre uh, pre pre years having the child, my dad came and and decorated this place. So he literally got like what like a laser and I had to measure this to the wall. So it's all perfect in terms of measurements on the wall. Uh, and I've got a couple of like, electrics there. Look, oh, Kelly, look at that. Kelly Jones signed photo there, who's obviously my hero. So yeah, Absolutely. and that's the little studio section. So it's, it's all, it, like, this has been my savior during all of this, this room. I mean, it's been half taken over now with, the, with all the, ch <laughs> the child stuff. <laughs> but uh, it's, this room has been, this is called the cave, I call it. And it's just my getaway and just being able to just grab a guitar, write and, and just sing. Exactly. Just, uh, same, same here. Definitely. Yeah. And especially oh, yeah, at times like that Great. I love the beans. The beans look great. Thank you. Yeah, we. Uh, there's a long story behind this one, but yeah, I'll tell you about it another time. But yeah, it was. Uh, it, but it's, it's serving a great purpose, which is uh, which is fantastic for us. Can I just ask? And I know you've told me about this, but the the acoustic in the middle behind you with the, like the double scratch plate wasn't yeah. that a right-handed guitar that you got modified into lefty, but kept the original scratch plate and had another one to mirror it. Yeah. So basically, I, I was on a on, I was on a job in Coventry, and the job was based around a band called The Enemy. Uh, so he was called Tom Clark, the lead singer of the band, and he was in the musical as well as the musical director. And he had his own like guitar technician. And uh, I always wanted like a jumbo guitar, but as as you know, as you said in the channel before, you know, being a lefty, we don't have the pick of the bunch like uh, the righties do. So I just mentioned it to him about wanting a jumbo, and he was like, "Well, just, if you find one, let me know. We'll send it to my guitar technician, and he'll sort it all out." And uh, yeah, this is like the the first. So it's an it's the Epiphone, is it EJ two hundred something like that? And it's yeah, yeah it's um, I, mean, I I love it. The 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 bass in that particular guitar is, uh, you know, and the ambience, I love it. Uh, so yeah, yeah. that's it, it was a right hit. That to answer your question, it was a right hit, and now it's a it's a lefty with a double scratch plate. It looks a bit like yeah. a Batman guitar, doesn't it? It looks great, honestly, and from a distance as, as well, it looks so nice. Man. I, I was tempted to get rid of the other scratch plate, and then there was obviously a shadow. If I take it off, there's a shadow from from it. So I was like, actually, it looks pretty cool. There's, but double. you know what? That's one of those classic lefty things that you've 
that you you know be it because you're a lefty you've actually been able to make it unique for you for yourself you know what i mean and that's uh one of those things that right-handed people don't get a lot of and that's a, probably a prime example of that it's true yeah yeah so uh, yeah i love that one good stuff man right listen we're going to go all the way back okay the life and back. times of tom milner um <laughs> but we don't have that much time <laughs> so let's go like where did it all where did it all start for you? Like what came first was it? And what was the spark kind of thing that made you think this is what I want to do? Um, I, I was obsessed with Michael Jackson as a, as a young kid and the, the earth song, I don't know if you remember that music video, but he was like in the middle of like, like a forest, like jungle sort of thing, grabbing uh -huh. onto trees going, ah, that song. Uh, I'm not going to walk on. So that sounded terrible. But um, that particular song was like one which I, I remember just grabbing my conservative chairs at home, annoying my my older brother and just constantly doing that. And I remember when Christmas getting like, can you remember those microphones that had like yellow, massive yellow foam on top? Yep. And they were rubbish. I think they were like the first sort of microphones, but that was the best present I've ever, ever got today. And it was that that just kind of just took me to this performing mode, if you like. Uh, and yeah, just set me off on my journey. I was always performing. If it wasn't uh, singing, it was pretending I were a DJ or a, a magician or, you know what I mean? I was just always wanting to just be that. Perform, yeah. <laughs> so so the singing came first. Yeah, yeah, massively. Um, Gareth Gates, it was a musical theatre performing out. He was from Bradford and that's where I was born. And I remember him sh being shown on Pop Idol and I was like, he's from Bradford, he can do it. I remember saying to my mum, mum, like, if he's, if he's from Bradford and he can do it, I can do it. And it was that journey um, that just made me go, you know, and my mum forced, forced me to go to one theatre school uh, lesson. I remember opening the door and they were doing ballet. I closed the door and went, I'm not going here. <laughs> and, uh, and, but, but she was like, look, and thankfully I, I took her up. She was like, look, just do one lesson. If you don't like it, you've done it. And we, and we just, we, we move on. And, you know, I always listen to your mother, as I say, and uh, I did. And, and here I am today. So. Great. So um, when did the guitar playing come into the equation? Uh, guitar playing came a, a bit later. Um, I, I think you can only, I think you can get too much of singing karaoke and backing tracks. You know what I mean? Without going, I want to put me on spin on something. Um, and my dad used to pick me up from school quite often. I lived, I went to a specialized performing arts school in Leeds and it was about an hour and a half away from my actual house, you know, a big journey, but I, you know, that was the discipline that I put into, in, into what I wanted to be. Um, so my dad picked me up one day and he was like, Oh, we're going to see a customer. And I was like, I just want to, and I was really moody. I, like, I just want to get home, Dad. Like, I just want to get home. Like, I've got work to do. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, shush, we're going to see this customer. Anyway, it turned out that he found a left-handed tangled guitar on eBay for like 20 quid. Uh, and you know, we knocked on this door. This woman answered. And she was like, oh, you're here for the guitar? And my dad just looked at me like, like that. And I was like, oh, I feel really bad now. I went, his house got his tangled. And I still, I mean, it's still, it's still at my parents, but it's, you, you know, it is when you get, when you get the moments you've, You've got to keep the guitars and yeah. So absolutely, I've still got my I've still got my very first one actually, which um I I actually just got out of my mum's loft about eighteen months ago because she was having it um all cleared out and having some work done up there, and it was still in its case and it was a it was a three quarter size encore from Argos I think that my oh, mum and dad had got yeah. it from and my dad it was a right handed guitar and then my dad just restrung it left handed for me and that you know that was my first guitar for two years but yeah special times special times but did you all did you always know that you were a lefty because that's the other thing some people are left handed but they feel it more natural playing right handed for some reason but then the majority of lefties want to play lefty did you always know um, so my dad, so my dad played like basic guitar and, and he always used to try drilling to me, look, pick up the right, go for the right, 
try to be right. You know, you'll you'll appreciate it later on in life. And he's not he's not wrong. Um, but it was it, what was it? Now to think about it, it was a strumming hand. I couldn't get. That's what I strummed. It wasn't that. Yeah. It was weirdly. Yeah, but and that's you, the thing. That I mean, that is it, isn't it? That you know, and that's why people don't understand that. With right-handed people, their left hand's doing all the work. With left-handed people, their right hand's doing it. But essentially, you know, you, you're leading with your rhythm hand when you're playing the guitar. So that will be the hand that you you are, that you use for writing, et cetera, you know? So, and like left-handed drummers, you know, they play that way around. So the hi-hat is, is they, they're guiding it with their left hand, you know? But okay, that's, that's good. So first guitar was a, did you say it was a Tanglewood? Yeah. Great. And you still yeah. got it. Good stuff, man. Oh, you know what? I mean, I nailed, I got rid of so I, went, I had a, um, there was a shop in my local town of Halifax called First Floor Music. And I saw this other guitar. This went, you know, when you go for the upgrade stage. Uh, and I was like, I really want that one. I can't remember which one it was. And I gave that guitaring as a part X and paid a right. bit of money. I got home, played this new guitar. And I was like, what have I just, why have I just got rid of that? My first guitar. So my mum had to ring up the shop. <laughs> and then I had to pay for this my old guitar back again. I mean, and thankfully I did. Like, as I say, you've got to, you know, the, the special, even though yeah. it's a 20 quid guitar on eBay that's been battered, the, the you know, the, the memories and stuff that that guitar's got is just... But great that you got it back though. Yeah, absolutely. And then it tells the story. And, and that's the thing. They're worth next to nothing, but sentimentally, like, yeah. and that's the ones with me that... You know, I, I recently did a, a, a video about my Gretsch saying that when I bought it, I bought it with the intention because it was quite a few quid. It will be the first one to go. Then I became so attached to it. It's now going to be the last one to go. But if I was to make that list of these are all the guitars and put them in an order of, of, of selling them, the ones that will be right near the bottom that I want to get rid of last are the ones that are really not worth that much, but I've got so much sentimental value, you know, like those first, that first acoustic the first electrics, you know, the ones that you really sort of learnt your your craft on when you were a teenager. I'm yeah. so I am so glad that I that I've still got those guitars. Although I did get rid of my very first electric, which was an Aria Pro Two black one. I did chop that in for my Epiphone Les Paul, and that's one of those regrets. But if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have got my Epiphone Les Paul. You know what I mean? That's so balance that, isn't it, mate? Exactly, exactly that. Let's move on to. Um, Let's move on to acting. When did you? When did the acting bug get you? So it, again, it was going. So I was in year eight in a normal high school, and uh, I was I, I was auditioning for this specialised performing arts school in Leeds, the one that I was talking about, taking me an hour and a half to get to every day. Uh, and I got in there, and I was at the school for three days when um, a production company came in looking for a, a character within a, a children's TV program called Barking, which was on CITV about a talking dog. Um, and within three days of being at this school, I was auditioning for this role. And I got it. So I joined the school for three days, then left the school and for two and a bit years filming this program and had a private tutor on set with me. So that, again, just being guided by, you know, just, yeah, someone helping me, you know. So that was, a, that was a huge leap then from going just from normal life straight into, you know, big uh, kids TV thing. And like you say, private tutor being really well looked after sort of, Almost being, uh, you know, having having that sort of big. Well, like that's that's you know, I've been so much blessed blessed with that in my life. Like from the big man upstairs, who's obviously looked after me. You know, it's that sort of you know, I joined the school for three days and then I get this job and you know, so lucky and but it comes with hard work as well, Chris. I'll be honest with you, like really, you know, dedication. It really does. Like the fact that I had to leave this school where my older brother was there, so I was looked after with him, um, and just going from that comfortable environment. Because I think I would have gone down a bad route as well. 
um, and I had to leave that comfortable environment that was easy to go. Do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for this and and take the risk and take the plunge. And it's hard to do, you know. Even even as an adult now, there'll be auditions that come in. And I'm like, I'm too scared to to go for that. But that sort of pre, like me when I was younger, that sort of mentality sticks in, sticks, comes back to me, and you know that survival mode comes in. So it's something that I've always taken with me from that young age. Yeah, and I also think it's it's a, a, about self discipline as well, you know, yeah. and and yeah. and there are so many opportunities that you could let pass you by, but then you never want to look back and think, oh, you know, I really wish I would have tried that or gone for that. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but at least you can, like you're saying, at least you can at the end of the day say, well, I did my best, and you know, this is where I am now. You know, I mean, like this sort of. If I didn't go to that school, I'd have probably lived in years of regret. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so that, so the, what was the show called? Barking. It was called Barking, yeah. Uh, and I worked with some fantastic people on that. And yeah, so it, I, I mean, I've, I've never trained. I've never been to a college. Um, I've just, I've, I've just jumped straight into the job. I learned on the job, and that was the thing, you know. Yeah, I got paid amazing money as a child actor, but you know, the thing that I that I got from it was the learning. You know, there was none yeah. of that sort of, oh, are you standing? In, in, in the in the right light without a shadow on your training. There was none of that sort of, you've got to use your voice to project. You know, I had to like learn all that quicker than the job and le- whilst learning my lines and, you know, trying to act. It was, it was you know, uh, again, there's no, there's no regret here, but, you know, people usually like go through a process of going to university and getting that sort of out of their system. And I never went through that. I was in work from 13 years of, you know, 13 years of age. And so I'm quite old before my time. Um and that went with me through life. You know, my parents' friends were my friends. And I found people that were my age quite immature. Sure. If, if you know what I mean? So, it's, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, and also there's no better experience than sort of diving headfirst into a gig. You know what I mean? I mean, that's like you say, and there is nothing against the guys that uh, that go and study and they want to learn their craft that way. But again, if, you, if you're given the opportunity, the sheer amount that you will learn from a gig going in there uh, far outweighs anything that you will learn at, at any educational course or whatever, you know? It does, yeah, completely. Agree. So where, so what was what happened after that? So that was your first taste of, you know, a, a really good acting gig. Uh, where yeah. did it go from there? Uh, so then I went back to school for like say, four months to do my finish my GCSEs, which I, I was tragic at, because I, the tutor on set that I had was, uh, was a lovely, lovely bloke called Stan Holden, but he was a tutor of Rupert Grint on Harry Potter. So oh, really? I was filming that whilst helping like film on our thing as well. So I'd to get out of school, I hated school work, Chris. I hated it. So to get out of school work, I'd always be a little like conniving little boy, like I know what to do. Do you know what I mean? So I'd always ask Stan about um, oh how's how's Harry Potter, what's going on at filming like and uh, and two hours later it'd still be on the same story and I'd be sat there like <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm not done any school work. So I got absolutely like out the energy to uh, but then what happened is there was a, a program called Water the Road, which is based around the school drama, and and they were I, I auditioned for the for that company actually about three times before I, I actually got my role, uh, and that just took my career to a, to another level because it was you know BBC One at like eight nine o'clock at night, uh, and I was only supposed to be in one episode, and then they just brought my character in, and I was there for four years, and that program you know I'm I'm forever in debt with with the people that employ me on that job. Um, because it's, you know, even to this day, you know, people always ask, um, you know, m- about my time on that programme. And again, learning from the likes of Neil Morrissey and uh, Eva Pope and just, again, goes back to that sort of the, the, the best training that I could 
ever have was 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 on that job and just yeah uh, made friends for life on it yeah. it was filmed like in six month stints was what the road it wasn't like an all year round thing because uh, it was classed as a a drama but it was like in between that soap drama socks yeah um but yeah blessed by uh the the bbc and and waterloo road and i think it was shed productions that that ran that program because as i say it wasn't it wasn't just what it did at the time it's what it still does now and um even though I look completely different. If anyone recognises me now, it means I need to go get a haircut and lose weight because I was just <laughs> a fat, like, and then a slanted, you know, those, like, emo rocker fringes. I yeah, was, I've seen it. You look great. You oh, uh, I didn't, Chris. You're doing your good acting again. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's that. How was it um, maintaining a a normal life when you've got a schedule like that filming and you're that age? Yeah, it was. Again, you don't. I don't, I don't think. When you, this is what I mean. When you're young and you've got all that like thrown at you, and it wasn't given. It was it's through hard work. You don't realize what you've got. Like, yeah, I had drivers picking me up at six o'clock in the morning and then taking me home at seven o'clock at night. Um, yeah, and and uh, yeah, I, like, as I say, I didn't realize how lucky I was um, at the time. But then, I, I lost a lot of my um, my my home life. That, that that's what I had to again. Um, you know, all my mates were were going out and or going to uni, and just, and I didn't go through that transition. So I kind of yeah, I lost I lost that. Um, but I don't have any regrets. You know, it, as I say, it's it's um, something which I'm you know I'm I'm blessed to, to ever have that opportunity, and a lot of people would have given the right arm to 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 have what I had at that time. Of course, on on the flip side of that, when you when it came to an end. And you'd been in there, like you say, four years, and it had been amazing. You you come out all of a sudden. You've got essentially nothing. The gig's finished, and a lot of your friends have gone off to do other things. Did it feel a little alienating in a way, or it, was it a matter of, you know, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? Yeah, um, I've always want. I've always discussed this with Claire, my wife, about. I think there's got to be some sort of charity that goes into. Uh, drama schools you know acting schools and just talk to people that can have overnight success I had 0.001% of what Justin Bieber's have got in the world of, in terms of, of fame and and it affected me you know like as you just said the good question how did you find when you came out of it and it was just stopped like that was just when you're in that sort of like I say people picking up in the morning on a great wage um, living the high life getting invited to you know red carpet wrestling WWE front row all that sort of stuff, you expect it to carry on. Yeah. And as you, you know, it, you're quickly forgotten about, there's always someone waiting in the wings. It's, and so, 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 so I, I just wish there was a bit more protection in that. And there's always something mm. in the back of my mind that I always want to just start up that some sort of charity that just goes and helps people. Uh, yeah. I mean, either, either that or just raising the awareness. And I, I don't think this is any different for actors or musicians uh -huh. at this point is that a gig is a gig, right? And it doesn't matter how big or small that gig is. At some point, you'll do the gig for X amount of time and then it'll be finished. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be on to the next thing after that. But there's sometimes a little period of time in between where you've not got a whole lot on. And there is that whole thing of where is this going now? You know, the, the everyday guy who has a job and a career and, and a lot of success goes in to work every day and all of that stuff. And to a certain extent, they know where they're going with it. And I think that's the fear with some people is that you're kind of living hand to mouth and 
you know, like I just turned 40 a couple of weeks ago and I'm still living. Thank you. Uh, I'm, but I'm still living the same way that I always have been, regardless of what's going on at the moment. Um, in that I don't know when the next gig's going to come in <clears> or <throat> where it's going to come from. And that's why, that's why I, you know, about sort of six or seven years ago, I started doing the musical theatre thing because it was, it was quite nice. Either as a dep, you'd get quite a bit of work. If you got your own gig, it'd be great because you'd have a big chunk of work. And then with the dep stuff, you can feel it in, in between all the other stuff, you know. So I how think... Did, how, how did you find that plunge from doing what you did and then jumping into like adapting into like musical um, theatre? Initially, it was terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because purely because I've always had this, you know, the career of of playing in bands and <clears throat> essentially playing what I want. But I've always wanted, you know, I've always wanted a challenge as well. And for me, the challenge of, of musical theatre was what I, I thought it, there'll be, you know, guys out there who think, well, you can't do that. He's a rock guy. So I really knuckled down and focused. And my first, you know, my first time doing Mamma Mia, which was the first show I ever did, you know, <clears throat> no matter how many times you practice with the pad at home, and you're learning. I tell you what, ma'am, when that when there's a thousand people sat in the audience and you're sat in that pit there in this show that's been running for X amount of years is about to start for its X thousandth time. And you're sat there in the guitar chair and you're not the main focal point because no one's looking at you. They're just expecting to hear it as it always is. And you've got a band of nine people in there who've played it hundreds of times and the MD's sitting there. And he's in his mixer, you know, he's got you right up so he can hear how you're going to do because there's no rehearsal. And that click starts for the overture. Your stomach goes, man. And it's still, it's still, although I've depth on quite a lot of shows now, it's still quite terrifying. You know what I mean? And I'm not a nervous player and I'll stand on, on stage. That was the great thing about American Idiot. We're up on stage, learned, you know, it was all learned and blah, blah, blah. And we were away. It was like doing a gig every night, you know. But it's, yeah, it can be quite challenging sometimes. <laughs> The theatre world's brutal. Like, I, so when I went from TV to theatre, like, I didn't realise how... I, I, I don't get, and you might screw me, I don't... I, 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 I do a lot of running now, and I always do a lot of thinking on running, and I, did, I thought this the other day. I don't understand how theatre's allowed... Not reviewers, critics. I, I don't know. I don't understand how they're allowed to use that word critic. So the people are allowed to come and criticise you. I don't understand how that's... I think it should be... I mean, don't get me wrong, a, a show needs a review. But so we use a word, oh, it's critics that come in. That's just a negative. Do you know what I mean? Am I, yeah, I making yeah, yeah. It's, it's already sort of starting you off on the wrong foot when you see that word, a critic rather than a reviewer. Yeah. And, and so, so for me, like, can you remember American Idiot? When, we, when I first kind of first started, you know, obviously the band and the actors, they're, they're separate in it, at first, aren't they? Then yeah. when the show's about to go, it's like, hi, mate, I'm Tom R. Okay, so, uh, do you know what I mean? It's, it's that and that's how it works. But I remember Dunstable, your uh, your your local um, <laughs> big up Dunstable massive. Um, <laughs> I remember it was our first preview, and anxiety came. You know, panic came in. I, you know, I was leaving this production, as you know, and I remember just thinking, "Oh my word!" Like I'm like to be exposed as a guitarist up there, and you know, my character did a lot of that. That gave me a massive anxiety a bit, and I looked at you. And it was, we're all, we're all having like, you know, racking the director, we're having like a bit of a pre sort of hype before the show. I looked at you and I went, Chris, have you got my back? On, and you, I remember you, that. I've my I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't even finish my sentence. And it was sort of, mate, do not worry about it. Do yeah. Job. I've got you. I've got you covered. And that just made me go, A, I love you. Um, 
and beats when we go. Do you know what? And that is what it's all about. Doesn't for me, I don't care if I'm if I'm the lead of that. You know, leading that production. You know, everyone's got to work together. Yeah, and that's that's just an example of me being the lead, you being the guitarist, and going, "Have you? I need you. I, I need you. Have you got me?" And you were like, "Yes, I'm your safety net." And yeah. that is. That's what it's all about in a production for me. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, to give a little perspective to people, there was obviously a lot of stuff on stage that you did uh, on your own with your guitar, which is funny enough when I did the, the filming for my Martin acoustic, I talked about you and using the guitar and how that's how I came to get it. But we had kind of this written deal with Rob, who was the MD in that if you were to have any problems, um, I'd be up on the mezzanine, you know, playing your parts along with you, essentially, if there was uh, be any issues, uh, technical issues or sound issues, and they'd cut to my guitar, blah, blah, blah. And that was it in the, in the, in the tech, like you say, it became quite a, a safety net for you. And I do remember, I'd forgotten, but I remember, yeah, we're in that back corridor behind the stage about to do the first preview, the very first show. And you, <laughs> and you looked me dead in the eye and you were like, have you got my back? And I was like, yeah, man, absolutely. No problem. But I could tell then it was like, like we're we're on here, you know what I mean? Like this, <laughs> we're, going we're going to work, and and it, yeah. it, and that that honestly, mate, that that sort of the word you were so calm. Like if I'd have asked another person, they'd have probably gone, "What? What?" Or <laughs> you, you could see my fear, and you went, I, I, "You know, you were like, mate, d literally, don't worry about it." I've got, and I was like, "My guy." Yeah, <laughs> I, me I remember one show. I don't know where we were, but um, start of um, wait me one September ends. Yeah. And um, my guitar was well out. And uh, and I was like, I'm going to just put my guitar back. Can you remember this? I do remember, yeah. And uh, I heard your guitar, but obviously front of hat, like uh, Martian, I don't think yeah. you realised what's going yeah, on. Yeah, so put it up out front. So I could faintly hear you doing it. And I was like, it was just Wake Me Up September Ends at the start, a cappella with just me singing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we never quite got it spot on, but uh, we tried. No, no, no. We tried you, I mean, you, you, did, you, you did your gig. Do you know what I mean? You did you. Yeah. you you, you did what you said to me, which was... The only yeah. thing I would say about that show was the very top of the show, because there's obviously there's no fancy overture in that show. And it was literally, in our in-ears would just be, one, two, three, four. And like then everything's in. But of course it comes after that whole video montage thing. And, and the count would always be when you guys were just down on the main part of the stage there. And you're like, you know, like and you're all screaming... And I would always just be praying that I would hear the count because that was the one thing. If I missed that, if I missed the first, you know, oh, bar. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that, that always kept me on my toes. You opened the show, mate. Yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I, mate, I thought about it in the, uh, in the weeks leading up to the show. You know what I mean? Just listening out for that click. So what was your, what was your transition from... Uh, Going into musical theatre in general, what was the first gig that you did in theatre? So um, I'd auditioned for a musical called Loserville, which was going on in the West End, and they, they kind of promised me a, a role within this job. And then I didn't end up getting the role because the director or I think producers have a different, you know, it goes different person in mind. Um, so basically the writer of that co-wrote a musical called Soho Cinders, which was Styles and Drew. Um, and they was, you know, I'm so thankful to those guys for just letting me in because at that point it was, there was like, there's a massive, like, you know, when TV people got a job in musical theatre, you were automatically, you've got a job because you've got a face on TV. Yes. And that was, I was coming to that job with that. I mean, people in the cast were saying that to me. The only, the only reason you got this job is because you're on TV, you know, and it's that sort of, again, that survival mode kicks in that you, I learned at school. I'm not having that. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I've got this gig because I've put my dedication into it. And again, it was like learning all over again. You know, it was TV to doing theatre is the, you know, even though it's the same field of work, it's like how I can describe a sprinter runner and a marathon runner and get t- telling that sprinter runner, right, you've got to win the marathon now. Do you yeah. know what I mean? That sure. sort of, so it was a massive change. And I, the first job was a struggle, actually, if I'm being honest in terms of that. Uh, but then, you know, it's, sets you in good stead then for for, th- for further jobs when you can survive a job, which is pretty difficult in terms of that that sort of, you've got this role because you're on, you've got a TV background, you know. Yeah, I mean, years. surely it's more instantly gratifying doing theatre because there's an audience there, sort of seven or eight shows a week that will clap and and you get your reward instantly, you know, like, like doing a live gig. But then when you do TV, you know, you film it and then it doesn't come on and you never really see the, the, the first-hand reactions from the audience when you're doing TV, you'll read some stuff and, and, and people might put on social media about it. But surely that's the greatest thing, which is why uh, I'm sure like, you know, the, the veterans of, of this world still like to do theatre because they like to see the faces of people, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a real work, isn't it? You know, you don't, you don't have four takes on the scene, do you? You've no. got to get that. And, yeah, and that's exactly. the thing. And it's your adrenaline's going, you know, ten to the dozen, and you know, as you say, people clapping and and just having that at the end of the show. There's there's nothing more rewarding, is there? Especially your first when you've done like three months of rehearsing, and you've done they've had that first audience in, and you've you've got through it. Yeah, so that's wow. You know, absolutely. So, um, what did you do? What was um, you know, give us a a, a mention of some of the theatre stuff that you've enjoyed doing over the years. So my first one was Sorcerers, which. You know, the music in that was stunning. Styles and Drew wrote, you know, Mary Poppins music and Honk and Betty Blue Eyes, the, the real British, you know, writers. And yeah, just to get, have, you know, I still speak to them now. They're, uh, I owe a lot to them uh, for giving me that first, because it was a risk for them as well to give me that first job. It really was. And, um, in fact, I joined a Zoom call, a screening of that musical um, at the start of this lockdown, and just, just so I could support the, you know, Anthony and George, because as I say, I own a lot. Uh, so that was my first one. And then I did Water Babies, which was built to be the next big thing. Louise Damon was in it. Um, Lauren Samuels, Tom Lister, who's again, a friend for life now, was a great guy. Uh, and we did that at Leicester Curve. Um, music by Chris Egan. He does a lot at Abbey Road. He's, just like, he's big on strings and, and recording things like okay. that. So it was, it was his first like, musical that he wrote as well so again it was big for big things and i think the issue was that the big it in the press is the next big thing and when you do that you know you set yourself up for failure you know what i mean yeah uh, so that was that and then i um what else did i do and then i did a musical which was right up my street called um uh, we'll live in Danny's towns so i grew up listening oh, to the band yeah the enemy. this is the one i remember you telling me about yeah yeah so i grew up listening to the band called the enemy it was like they came out when the arctic monkeys came out and remember the enemy magazine the, the lead singer from the enemy, Tom Clark and Alex Turner from the Arctic Monkeys, they were always at each other on the, you know, on the front page and saying stuff. So, but Tom Clark, who's again, is, you know, one of my great friends. He was, he was my hero growing up. And I remember my agent saying, Oh, there's an audition for, um, we'll live in down these towns and musical going on in Coventry. And I just stopped his sentence. And I went, is this about a band called the enemy? And he was like, let me just look through the documents. Yeah, it is. And I was like, don't worry, leave this with me. And I, I went into the audition and, and the same musical theater, you, you should never do a song. Um, which, it, which is from the musical. And I was like, I'm not taking this up. Op- you know, I'm not missing this opportunity. I'm going to sing one of his songs 
in his in in the room and it was it wasn't a popular song it was a song from an album it was their third album that i did and yeah i got the gig and it was yeah just to, to be working with him and um was amazing so that was uh, a musical in coventry that was only on for like four weeks in a little studio theater uh, and then from that it was american idiot and i got that american idiot job whilst uh, auditioning whilst i was on the the coventry show um i've got to, I, i've got to just say here i mean surely other than you know we'll wait for the time where there's a stereophonics musical okay oh, that would be I'm, you know right but other than that <laughs> you know i thought about this that surely american idiot was just great for you purely because you you're able to show your ability of of singing of acting of playing the guitar yeah it was kind of like the whole shebang for you wasn't it yeah yeah i mean dancing as well yeah i'm not a, I'm not a dancer mate and it was like Again, look, fine, look fine from where I was stood. It was like, it was like someone said to me, right, oh, we're going to chuck you in the Pacific Ocean. We're going to put weights around your ankles and you've got to survive and swim back to shore. That <laughs> show was like, because as you say, it was like doing that. Um, the acting, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that was soft acting. You know, I was playing a, a drug addict and so I had to lose all the weight for the show. And, uh, but to work with Racky, you know, as, as you know, she's amazing. And me and Rax had always kind of, I'd auditioned, I'd auditioned for the, um, what's the show? I think you did it. Did you do it? The, the um, Knights? Oh, Knights of the Rose. I auditioned for that. And then okay. nobody knows his story, Chris, but I got a bit of an anxiety attack and I was pretty ill. And I was like, I, I, can't, I can't go for this audition. But I was poorly. It was legit poorly. But my, I think it was pulled up, pushed on by my anxiety. So I didn't go for the second audition. But then me and Racky bumped into each other at West End Live. I'd just done a Barricade Boys gig and I'd had a few beers. And uh, and she came up to me and, I, and we were just chatting. And she's like, I was like, Rax, I, I was trying to play it cool, but I knew American Idiot were coming up. And she was trying to play it cool. She didn't mention it to me until like the end of the conversation. She was like, oh, I might see you for American Idiot. And I was like doing the old, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Well, I mean, Green Day Musical sounds great. Yeah, hopefully I, I get into the room. She's like, I'll get in the room. But it was that sort of, we had that sort of, I want to work with you. And I think she wanted to work with me and just to work with her was just amazing. Cause I think sometimes directors can be the best actors. They, they, they come into the room with this sort of role sure. themselves. Yeah. Racky is like, as you, what you see is what you get. Yeah. She's super yeah. down to earth. And uh, you know, I, 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 I had done Knights of the Rose with, uh, with her uh, the previous year and, you know, she was great. And I, I remember my first, you know, I, I didn't know, really who she was or whatever but my first impressions were i think during the the rehearsals during the text she turned up wearing a guns and roses t-shirt i was like this girl knows her stuff you know what i mean that's it seals the deal um yeah but she's great you know and she's yeah she's she's super brilliant and and you know then going on to do american idiot as well i have got i've got a point out though there's and i watch this for every single show man the the scene the the shooting up scene was like you know, there's not a lot of dialogue in American Idiot. And it's very much like, like Tommy was with the who it's just, it's, it's just segue, segue, segue all the way through the whole show. But there is a part, a part in the second half of the people who haven't seen it where uh, Tom's character sits or uh, leans on the stage, just trying to find a vein to shoot up because his life is, has become so tragic at this point. And I watched every night you doing this, and it was quite incredible. So what was, you know, there's no dialogue. There's, we did some big theatres and every time you, know, you could hear a pin drop. Was that your 
point of the show that you'd always think, oh God, I've got this coming up, you know, I've still got to get through it. And what was your sort of focus around doing it to try and hold uh, an audience with essentially nothing but you wearing a pair of pants and holding a syringe? That that was, uh, I remember, so when I got the, the role, I'd, obviously the musical had been going a few years. Uh, it had done a few tours before, hadn't it? And we were on the special anniversary tour. And I knew that the actors that had played my character were awesome actors. Um, so I knew that I had that pressure uh, from on that scene straight away. Um, but then I was like, listen, like I've got to put my, portray my, my, um, my, my role on it. Raki was amazing at going, do you know what? Like, let's discuss it. Let's, it doesn't have to be like, she was at, this is what I mean. Like directors that have done that. So she's so attached to this musical as well. And she was, she, she wasn't like, I want it like this. I want it like I've done the last three times. She was like, look, talk to me. Let's have a discussion. And I remember th- that scene, we did a lot of research together. You know, I've never done drugs. Um, so it was that I had to really watch horrific stuff, which with Raki, we sat down, we watched a lot of horrific stuff and I had to, you know, learn each and every like eye move that, you know, someone so high on something does or, so it was a lot of research before doing that scene. But nah, man, like that scene was, if if you're an actor, you, you dream of those those scenes. And, yeah, I can uh, imagine. Because and, it's, all, it's all yours at that point. You know, there's no one else on stage. It's yeah. like, and it's we had, all we, yours. We, we had a few hecklers, didn't we? Like, because American Idiot, you get Green Day fans that are not used to theatre shows. So yeah, have, sure. And I, I respect that. So you get a few hecklers and people afterwards would go, how did you carry on doing that scene? And I'd be like, what hecklers? Because I was so in that. Yeah. Zone. Um, and it was at first, I remember, so we did the tour and then we had a break quite early on in the tour, didn't we? And we, me and Claire booked to go to New York. Yeah. On your recommendation. Uh, and I remember going to New York and in New York, I remember thinking I need to go to, I need to book an appointment at the doctor when I go on because everything, so you know, your peripheral vision, I'm looking, you know, my, my peripheral was moving. Right. Like, what's this about? What's this about? And it happened probably about a month. And then I realized it was because of the, 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 the physical and the mental state that this character had given me, I was like, wow, like this is, you know, so it was a mass, it was a lot for me to take and a lot for me to do, but yeah, doing that scene was, was special daunting, even for me. I mean, people who come away from that going like, I, the amount of times I heard doors going where people would get up who were the front row that couldn't handle it and go, do you know what I mean? Like stories yeah. of people I vaguely remember, wasn't someone sick or it sounded like someone was going to be sick? With the blood, wasn't it, I think? It could have been, yeah. Yeah, it was just, it was, I can imagine it. If you sat in the front row and you're seeing someone doing that. Yeah. It was exposed, wasn't it? Oh. It was an exposed scene. You know, yeah. there were no odds bad. It was like, we're going to, we, we, you know, because you can, that, that's again a risk from Racky and the one that I just take my hat off to, you know, she could have been safe with that scene. I think she actually put that scene in, if I'm being honest. It was right. never in the broadway version she put that scene in and that is a risk that she took and and just be real about it yeah you know and again it's thanks to her that that's that that happened and yeah i got i was thankful thankful that i got some good reviews from that scene in particular and yeah it was a pressure because as i say the actors that had done that done done the role pre matt thorpe aaron sidwell i think newton faulkner even did my role you know there were people that were just so talented in their own ways and for me just to be able to, you know, yeah, I was blessed that 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 I managed to do that scene justice. 
Yeah, man, absolutely. And in general terms, I sort of, I, I do look back on that show with, you know, with a lot of great memories, you know, we had, we had so much fun and it felt, um, felt very complete the whole thing because, because I think of the simple thing of the band being on the stage as it was when I'd done Knights of the Rose, you know, so all of a sudden you're up with the cast rather than being down in the pit. So, you know, socially, it, it all everyone's in together rather than this strange divide you'll sometimes get not that there ever should be because everyone's there for the same reason you know but man we had some laughs that a lot of people never realize that we had as well we're going to talk about the um the mock-up matinee we've got to do that oh god oh god yeah come on let's talk I about that. that show but um i mean by the way anyone who's watching this we are professionals before we go on to this like, we are professional um yeah it was just like i remember just like Thing is, if someone gives something to me, they've got to be able to take 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 my response. And you, you I think I can't remember what you did to me. Was it the tower with Sam Lavery? Like, you did. Um, I got in the tower. You got in the tower, and that it was like show, it made the show report as well. I oh. it was it was it was during what's the name? I think right towards the end of the show. But it wasn't. It was Ubad. Was it? I might be what's the name. There's something that you basically did to me, and I was like. Oh, you've gone yeah. there. I've and but the thing is, you'd, you'd done very well for, you know, the previous six months. But just Sam was like, come on, come look out the, you know, because there's, there's a window that opens on the balcony. I was like, come on. In. So I just sort of looked out. And then I just, Sorry, just it wasn't. all I saw was all the cast and you looking up at me and you just go, oh, like you just, you just. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was so oh. good. There were there, there so many good things that we did, but. I know that was that obviously that last penultimate show, but during the, the course of the run, there were so many things that you know, every time you'd look back and you'd be serious and you'd turn it or you'd pull a funny face and just, you know, able to break character just like that. Or, or of course, the infamous band acting scene, um, you know, every show and, you know, we'd have to, you know, you'd read out this, the thing saying the band sucked and then we'd be like, oh, you know. And then it would become this thing of putting in these little things in there that would only perhaps mean something to us. And I remember, I think we were in Aberdeen and we played crazy golf and I'd won. And then, so my response, when you turn around to say the band sucked, I did a golf swing like that. It was just little things like that. And uh, particularly towards the, you know, the end of the run, the bit in, um, Jesus Suburbia, when you and Josh were just taking all the stuff and just hurling it at us. Yeah, and you know, I Nick. Did I switch your pedal off? Yeah, you did. Yeah, I think you. Yeah, you turned. You turned like my. You turned my chorus on or my delay off or or something. Yeah, you so hit. People watching this have to know that. Like, try and we have to put this in, in perspective. I was yeah. at the front, the front of the um, the stage. You was at the back high up on like um, a, a platform with yes. a cage over you. So yes. I had to get a gap like that from the ceiling to this top of this cage from the front of the stage. And it was boxes like, I'd say like that size. And yeah. I just launched this one and it went into this small gap down and you just managed to switch your delay on or something like that. Yeah, and something was, like that. Uh, but then that wasn't the only time you hit, you hit me straight on the head one time with it. You hit the headstock of my guitar one time. Some of this Nick got on video when he was filming the band up on the mezzanine there. Um, yeah, just so, just so many great. These are moments. That, so that musical, because my character was so mental and crazy, like the stuff that I was doing was, 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 was actually in character, majority of it. Um, but, but what that does, <laughs> what that does is, is it gets us through 
all through like the shows, doesn't it? And it keeps that camaraderie there and that, do you know what I mean? And that's what some of the, the I loved about that show. Yeah. You know, it had so much, because it, it was so chaotic. Yeah, it, absolutely. You know, but I remember mock up matinee quickly, I've got to tell this. You had a hat on like that. And I remember like, I'm going to make you suffer. And you, Judas Suburbia, how long is Judas Suburbia, the song? Six, six minutes or longer? Yeah, I think it could be, is it eight or nine minutes? I think it's a yeah, long one. And I remember going, right, I'm going to, as soon as I get up to your platform, I'm going to put this hat right over your face and you, yeah, you, the, do. you have a break. And I was That's like, right. boom. And I was like, right, I fun with that. And you smashed every single. And I was like, I'm not having this. So at the side of the stage, I got loads of props and just launched them. And all I heard, all I heard, boom, 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 onto your platform. And I was like, still carrying on. He's still going. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. <laughs> oh, God, that was funny. We had a good time, man. We really did have a good time. I've got to say, though, that there's that whole, the whole thing of you playing the guitar on stage um, on your own several times. And uh, it was then, you know, we should talk about the Martin guitar now because I just did a video of it. And by the time this goes out, that video will have been posted. And I I mentioned you quite a bit about um, why I got it. And it was, I remember you raving about it. And I remember seeing, obviously seeing you using it in rehearsals and then seeing you using it during the tour. But do you remember when we were in Blackpool and we did that thing, the, um, the handbags and glad rags thing, the bit of recording, which I'll put a link to on this and I put a link to on the other video as well. That was the first time I'd actually used your, your guitar. And I always thought, because I'm not that familiar with Martin guitars, I thought it would be a really one of the, the higher end ones. But then you told me how much it was. I was like, oh, yeah. and that's how I ended up buying one myself after the tour um do you still use it and what do you think of that guitar so you know you've got guitars for like clara's goes to me she, Claire, my, my wife's a saxophonist and she always goes i don't get what why you've got to have so many different guitars you know what i mean you've always got to have that conversation and the the truth is my each one of my guitars is, is individual jobs like this one is great for just putting on the small ones to put on your back, but it's a guild. It's built stunnings and the electrics in it are great obviously the jumbo we talked about earlier but my martin which is here there it that's is. My work, that, that's my workhorse. I'll get it out. I'll get it down. That's, this, is my, this is my my workhorse. And and again, I it goes back to, I did this musical in Coventry with this guitar. And I remember in rehearsals for Idiot, they were providing guitars for 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 Josh, uh, who played Tony, um, for Luke as well. And they were giving him Gibsons and had been lefty. Obviously, I won't get a Gibson. There you go. The, 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 I can't remember what it was. And I was like, I played it. I was like, it's a nice guitar, but... I just I don't know why I just don't use my Martin because it's my workhorse and it's I've done a musical with it previous to this. I should really, you know, I should give it that respect. So now if I ever get any more work, this one is my one that goes out on the road with me. Um it's still got paint. If you can see it from like um the show from when there's like paint getting splattered around and stuff that I just nice. will ne- never take off. And but you you played it and you were like, This is this yeah. feels like this feels like a you know two thousand pound guitar, and I was like, mate, it's not, it's not. And the obviously I had um, again Tom Clark's um, technician set it up for yes. me as well. So and I was going to say, it's very important we mention this because I actually mentioned this in the video that you how well set up yours was, and yeah. I haven't quite got mine set up that well. And it did need quite a lot of attention when I got it to bring the action down and I had to take the saddle down, file the saddle down a bit, sand it down. <laughs> I don't know if you can see on camera. Have you seen how low my my um is it is it called is it the, the animal bone I call this? See how low yeah. that is. Look how low that is. Yeah. Now what I did when I first got it is I sanded it down too much 
then I okay. used then I used it on a gig and, and it was sat in a pit and it got like because the pit was really humid it got really buzzy yeah and then I couldn't get it whatever I did I couldn't so I had to buy a, a whole new saddle piece kind of thing it's one of those dangers of of you know you don't want to take sand it down too far because you can't get it back kind of thing right. but I, I always had in mind and I still do to a certain extent setting mine up exactly how you have yours because it's just it played so well like I say mine's like I'd say it's 90 percent there you know but it's and the other thing I really like about it <clears throat> is that you know like with a lot of the other acoustics you've got like all the preamp and all the stuff on the top with that it looks really natural and the, with the volume and the tone in the sound hole it keeps everything tucked away nicely you know what I mean it's built it's built it's built like a two thousand pound guitar isn't it you know it really is yeah so that's my workhorse and and that has been dropped i remember doing a scene in the Coventry musical and it felt i, I had to carry the guitar around on my back for the most of the musical so you know it's robust as well and i remember yeah. it falling off. i didn't have guitar straps on stupidly uh lock straps and it just came off my back and fell front boom, on the hard floor and i was like i remember the writer of the musical coming up to me jeff bless him a great guy went oh just to let you know um uh you know it, when you're in the zone as an actor you shouldn't really stop the scene and I was like, <laughs> you'll appreciate this as a guitarist. I was like, are you like, no, <laughs> Jeff, no, no, no. I love you. No, like that guitar is getting picked up and I'm checking it over. Do you know what I mean? It was that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so that's, that's my workhorse. And then this is a great little story. This is a Tanglewood, but it was built in 1990. Um, so it was made by Court back then. So it's built again, really well. And this was bought in um, Denmark street at No Tom's. Oh yeah. Um, and it was, Again, 180 quid. But as you know, when you go into a guitar shop, especially used ones, you rare, you rare pick them up. And I picked that up and I was like, Tanglewood, like I, I, you know, my first guitar was a Tanglewood. We talked about, I was like, I'm not going to get another Tanglewood. I played it. I was like, what? The, do you know when you just pick, pick it up and you go, that is stunning. Like, yeah. Anyway, I, I text my wife at the time, uh, my, she was my girlfriend at the time, but I text Claire and I was like, just seen a left handed guitar in the shop on Denmark Street. I love it. Um, thinking about getting it she hadn't messaged me back you know what it is you've got to just put the plant the feelers of she didn't mess me did. back so now i was like do you know what i'm gonna go rather than buy this guitar i'm gonna go to a box office and buy claire she wanted to go see um i can't remember which musical it won now miss saigon she'd been going on about it. i was like rather than buying that i'm gonna go buy some tickets for this musical she rocks up meets me in town i was like i've got a surprise for you she rocks up with this guitar on her back no way i've got her a surprise to see the musical and she bought me that and, and I, I bet the like, guitar. I bet the guitar was still cheaper than those theatre tickets. Oh mate, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, I, I, I hold that to ransom with quite often. But no, that, that just that story is beautiful. Uh, it is. It and, is. And a wonderful, you know, wonderful guitar. I love it. And you know, you can. I've picked up two thousand pound guitar. In fact, in New York, I managed to play in a hummingbird. Nice. And I was like, wow, this is stunning. But then still, I'm like, I love these. I love them. Yeah. You know. So it was a lefty hummingbird. Yeah. In New York, I played it, yeah. Nice, man. The rarities, aren't they? Well, that's it. And, you know, that's what I've been saying all the videos I've been doing. Just, you know, if you if you come across them, if you've got the opportunity to buy them, do it. Because especially with the vintage stuff, I'm, I'm about to start doing some vintage stuff as well. Yeah. And, you know, there's old guitars out there. There's a lot of old right-handed guitars out there. But old, when you're talking old lefties, it gets a lot rarer, you know, and there's really not that many in the world. So I think that's where it's quite nice in a way for us, you know. Yeah, it is. it is. I mean, it's obviously frustrating when you go into, you know, my, my uh, brother-in-law, Will, I think you know Will, he's, he's mm. in a band called Michael and William, and we go to guitar shops, and he's obviously 
playing on noodling and, and I'm like, I've got one or two to choose from. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's that. But when you get them special moments like that, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You get, you know, it's great. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I think that's it. Tom Milner, thank you ever so much for joining me. It's been, it feels like we haven't been on like a a chat. We've just been talking, haven't we? It's been amazing. Pretty much. Thanks for inviting me. And I love the channel. I do. Um, Yeah. So keep it going for us lefties, if anything. I'll try. I'll see what I can do. Thanks, mate. Bless you, mate.